Hello and welcome to episode 14 of Linux After Dark. I'm Joe. I'm Chris. I'm Gary. And I'm Dalton. Welcome back, chaps. Dalton, you've had the Framework laptop for about six months now. We talked about it back in the old Late Night Linux extra days, days of yore, when you first got it. But now you've had it for a few months. And there's actually been some buzz about it lately as potentially being a sort of ThinkPad successor. So what is your medium-term experience with it? Did it live up to all the hype? Did it live up to all the hype? No, but only because of the context that it's living in now, if that makes sense. You're not going to mention M1 Max, are you, and get us in trouble? Nope. I will never say it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So my first question is, is it your pickup daily driver now? Yes. If I'm not going to another workplace which has provided me with a laptop. If I'm doing anything at home, it's going to be on the framework, unless I'm playing a video game, in which case uh, it doesn't do that very well. Well, that's to be expected because it's Intel only. It's got no dedicated graphics card in it. Right. But with that, what's interesting is the XE graphics in this are fairly decent. I mean, it can do 720p in simpler games and run absolutely fine. So it's much better than Intel Integrate of the past. It's just not as impressive as the giant graphics card in my desktop that draws as much power as this thing does at full load at idle. And what about operating systems? Have you been consistent with what you've been running on it or have you flipped and chopped and changed them? Why is that? So when we talked about Fedora Silverblue, this is the laptop that I installed Silverblue on. And it ran that basically until a month ago when I started hopping first to Fedora Workstation and then to Windows 11. Uh-oh. Ooh. <laughs> Why Windows 11? It started, I was trying to figure out battery issues, which we can talk about a bit in, in a bit. But also I did some benchmarking on it that didn't work quite as well in Linux and found that it's, you know, 30 to... 20 to 30% faster than my old XPS, which is okay, but not super impressive. I switched from an XPS 13 9370, so the first quad-core generation of those. So an 8th gen? Yeah, to 11th gen Intel. So, you know, it's a small bump, but it's, again, in context, not that impressive. (laughs) (laughs) I suppose we can go back to when it came out of the box, right? So... I bought the DIY edition because it's significantly cheaper and I didn't have to buy Windows with it at the time. So getting it out of the box, had to install the Wi-Fi card and stuff, and that was perfectly fine for me. And I think it'll probably be fine for most of our audience. Just be careful with the Wi-Fi antennas, they can break and stuff, but you probably won't be able to ham-fist it that bad. So snap in storage, RAM, the Wi-Fi card, and that's about it. Don't snap it in, put it in carefully. Yeah, Don't slap it in, I guess. (laughs) There's also the concept of their cards, the expansion cards. So it's got four square slots on the sides, two on the left, two on the right, where you can insert expansion cards. And they've got lots of different ones like USB Type-C, USB Type-A, microSD, DisplayPort, HDMI, and I think a 250 gig and a one terabyte storage option if you want more storage in the laptop over USB. And an Ethernet one? No, no Ethernet one. They're talking about it, though. 
The problem is that it, they're really thin, so I don't know if they'd be able to put an Ethernet jack, even a weird flip-down one, in that amount of space. Yeah, so there's just not enough clearance on the bottom to have a flip-down door or whatever. Right. And that's a similar problem with, like, people are trying to integrate a Logitech unifying adapter in them and stuff like that, but it's just too thin to try and do that kind of thing with. And they're stuck with this form factor for a long time, it sounds like. So it'll be interesting to see how they solve those problems. Yeah, I mean, I guess until they entirely rev the hardware, you've got the space you've got to try and put stuff in. And those add-ons are all just USB-C. Right. Thunderbolt 4 Max. I don't think it's actually certified for Thunderbolt 4, but I'm pretty sure it can do it. Most of the add-ons are just USB devices, though, which can cause problems, for example, with power consumption. Yeah. Now, that is quite significant from what you've told us previously. Mm -hmm. It seems like they have problems with the power consumption of this device. So I can get about five hours of battery life out of it on a good day. And on a recent Intel platform, it should be closer to seven, eight with this battery size. Obviously, it's got a big, beautiful screen in it, right? It's got a three by two display, two by three, uh, one of those. It's squarical. <laughs> and that's really great for fitting, you know, professional software, code, whatever it may be on. That is really nice. Everything except for editing timelines, I guess. So it's great for that. Tangent, the keyboard and trackpad are also great. The best that I've had on a laptop, and that includes the Mac Pro or MacBook Pro, the new ones. This even has a better keyboard and trackpad than that, although the Mac gesture support is obviously better. Yeah, that was going to be one of my questions, because these are you know, a potential replacement for ropey old ThinkPads that we're installing <laughs> Linux on. Say, if the keyboard and trackpad aren't any good, then it's a non-starter for a lot of people. Absolutely, and they are really good at least in my opinion. Well backlit, there's no problems with light bleed or anything like that. The fingerprint sensor is nice if you can actually get it to work. <laughs> so once you install a Linux distro, most of the times you have to use a terminal command to delete the fingerprints from the fingerprint reader so that you can re-enroll them. And that's not super cool. Mm. But it does work. It's just a little laggy in GNOME, which it is absolutely not under Windows. So that seems to be a software issue. So with the display and the battery, what are the numbers there? So what's the actual resolution of the display and how many watts is the battery that's giving you five hours? It's got a 13.5 inch display that is 2256 by 1504. And are you running that native or are you doing like scaling or anything on it? Because that seems quite high for a 13. I have to run it with scaling. So 150% scaling under GNOME or Windows is about right for it, which is unfortunate, right? Because Linux software and Windows also doesn't handle 150% very well, especially if you have things that are using older versions of Electron or older versions of GTK or Qt. It's just not a super great experience. But the modern GNOME desktop is a very good experience, I've found, scaled at all sorts. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. If you've, got, if you've got the right apps, it basically just looks native. So what is the Linux experience like now? When you first got it, it was quite new. And so Arch worked quite well and Fedora, but Ubuntu not so much. Like, Have the distros caught up now? Is it well supported? Honestly, I haven't tried Ubuntu on it lately. I'm sure it would be fine. But generally, everything's 
gotten better. So there was a big problem with 11th gen Intel where panel self-refresh would cause screen tearing just all the time when the panel came in and out of refresh mode. But that's been fixed. A lot of suspend issues have been fixed, but there's still some pretty glaring ones. Like, you can either use S2 idle, S2 sleep, or S3, you know, the standard deep sleep. And the problem is, if you try deep sleep, sometimes, not all the time, it'll take 5 to 10 seconds to wake up. And that's just not acceptable as far as I'm concerned. Or alternatively, if you use S2 sleep, it won't always go all the way to sleep. It'll use a lot more battery. Usually it'll be dead by morning if you suspend it overnight. And that's also not great. But I think that's a pretty good segue into how this thing behaves with power. You know, I've mentioned that there seem to be issues with the cards, the expansion cards, and their power use. It's really weird. Everything but the USB-C card has a constant, even in power-off, power budget. Like, plugging in a USB-A card causes this device to use an average of 400 milliwatts more. And that scales for every port. Yeah, that doesn't sound like a lot until it runs for hours and hours and hours. And when you consider that my XPS, for example, could do 1.6 watt idle with the screen on, that's uh, that's not good. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> it's proportionately to what the rest of the machine's using, like 400 milliwatts across four expansion cards is potentially quite big, isn't it? I think that's the reason why I was getting such horrible suspend battery life too. I've loaded this thing up now, and this was an expensive purchase because each USB-C card is $9, so they add up quick. But I've loaded it up with four USB-C cards, and it's performing much better on battery than it used to. Because I had a micro SD card, a USB-A, an HDMI, and a USB-C. And the HDMI card uses a full watt, and so does the (laughs) micro SD card. And that's a lot. Is that because you're essentially using dongles, whereas USB-C to USB-C is just probably passively connected there's there's not really much in the way of electronics there whereas converting to hdmi uses power problem is those things aren't in use so whatever they're doing it's not correctly suspending the usb controllers that it's supposed to be when they're in not in use like the usb a card should use nothing if there's nothing plugged into it yeah i was going to say usb a card should almost just be a pass-through as well right Right. I've noticed, though, if I plug the USB-A card into, say, a USB-C like power supply, it goes up to 5 volts. So it might be that it's just turning on some power regulators that should go to sleep at some point that just never do. And do you think this is fixable? I hope so. I mean, I've had this thing since September now, so six months, seven months, and it hasn't been fixed yet, which I thought it would be. So, you know, be careful about that. Buy something for what it is today, not what it could be in the future. Yeah, because I was scraping around in the forums when you sent a message in in, in the little group that we have, and uh, there were some customers who bought it who were defending this power draw, which I can see because you've laid down the money for it and you own it. And there were some murmurs that they were concerned by it and looking into it, but not since last August. Like, I haven't seen a progression in that. And so... Yeah, I I wonder because how many watts is the battery? Do you, do you know? 54 watt hour. 
It's the exact same as my old XPS. Right. Okay. Because yeah, I, I, I'm sat here on an eighth gen, but it's got a 68 watt battery with a 14 inch 1080p screen and that can easily pull eight or nine hours. And I've just for work got an 11th gen, just a boring uh, Dell Latitude with an i7. And as a challenge the other day with some of my colleagues, we all unplugged in the morning and, and just see how far we got. I got right through to the end of a working day. I, I didn't put it under an immense amount of load, but I did spend my whole day working with an external monitor attached and a lot going on. I never pushed the CPU to full load because that's not the kind of workload that I'm doing. But five hours is quite a hard sell, even if the display is nice and you take the fact that there is a few less watts in the battery. These days, I would expect more. So that's a bit of a shame. Absolutely. And that's the thing that with my XPS, I could get through a full work day the same that you can with your Latitude. I think it's just a factor of... Framework's a new company. You know, they've got IP from other companies, I'm sure, but they're trying to make like the embedded controller themselves and they just don't have that long institutional knowledge that companies like Dell have. So it's going to take them a little bit longer to get to the same efficiency, performance, and stability that everyone else has. So if you're buying a framework right now, I'd say you're coming along for the ride a little bit. It's a new company. It's a first-generation laptop. And I'd say, in general, I mean, I paid 1800 bucks for this thing. I think they did fairly well for their first device. It's not perfect. And I'm not sure I would recommend most people buy one, unless you're really into what framework is into. Probably just wait for another generation or two and see if they fix the battery issues. Yeah, and you knew that going into this, right? Because... It's a machine for people like us. It's not something that my mum would go and buy. So I think it's fairly reasonable to expect some bumps in the road. I think it is too. Just know that when you're going into it, you know, don't buy this if you really need something that gets good battery life. And if you're buying this expecting a like for like with, say, the Dell XPS, it's got the chops for it. It's just not there on the software and firmware side quite yet. I must say I'm a bit disappointed in your experience. I suppose this is their first attempt. And I think there is one kind of silver lining here, and that is that they did plan ahead for being able to swap out parts very easily in this. So swapping it out for a new motherboard with a later Intel chip or potentially an AMD one, that is possible. And so you're not just stuck with a brick, potentially. You might be able to swap out the key internals and then you've still got your nice screen your nice keyboard your nice trackpad and everything and that was kind of always the plan right right i bought this thing for what it was when i bought it i don't take this idea of future upgradability in because as has been talked about recently in 2.5 admins actually Mm. your needs will change by the time you get to that time to upgrade but What I wanted to get was a laptop that was easily changeable. You know, if I don't need 32 gigs of RAM and I have another machine that could use a 16 gig DDR4 stick, that's the kind of stuff that is interesting to me because I have a really weird situation. But buy it for what it is today. Think about the things that it could be in the future, but don't buy them for that. And for what it is today, it's a very decent 
first shot at a laptop. It is thin, it's light, it's got a great keyboard and trackpad, it's got a great screen, and Linux works pretty well on it, which is a lot more than you can say for a lot of the market at the moment. So, I enjoy it. It's got kill switches on the bezel. It's got a kill switch for the camera and one for the microphone, so you can turn those off straight from the bezel. I think it's decent. I'm in a different situation now than I was when I bought it. You know, things are a little bit tighter for me, so I'm looking on it with a more critical angle, but in general, it's a decent piece of hardware. I guess the elephant in the room for me is $1,000 base price for the i5 DIY edition. Do you think that the money that they were asking and are asking given what you got was reasonable? Because at $1,000, you're getting into... MacBook, Dell XPS type territory where arguably you'd have a much more polished experience. Right. So it is comparing it against the XPS and ThinkPads in the range, the low end of ThinkPads because they go up in price quick. Yeah, exactly. You're verging on that four-figure price range where you can get a a decent business-grade Dell or ThinkPad or even a MacBook Air, right? Yep. It's all decent. It's very good for what I got, because I got 32 gigs of RAM and the i7. It's a decent value. I think that's what they were really aiming for here, is, you know, they didn't want something that was absolutely screaming. They didn't want something that was slow. They just wanted a unsurprising middle-of-the-road laptop to show the industry, hey, you can make an unsurprising middle-of-the-road laptop, and it can still be repairable. Dell. (laughs) Yeah. That's the thing, because I started to notice even uh, recently in the kind of last hurrah of my residential support business before I changed up my career a bit, I advised a client about a ThinkPad and one of the RAM modules is hard soldered to the board. So you get one DIMM slot and you're starting to get into that territory. And one of the things I was pleased with, with the framework is they pulled off of what I gathered, Dalton, you can back this up, a kind of fairly low profile chassis. So this whole argument of, you know, oh, that's just to make it sleeker or to make manufacturing easier. They've managed to produce a laptop that is not a big, thick, fat boy with loads of like extra doors on it, it can hold its punches with other systems of its class. And it doesn't have to be that way. And I did notice when you say Dell, one of the first things that happened in the months after the framework came out is Dell announced a framework, basically. (laughs) So it definitely made an impact, I think. Yeah, I think that's the great hope here that it's going to influence the industry as we move to a more right to repair culture let's say. And even if it moves the needle just a little bit, that's better than nothing. And I think it will move the needle a whole lot more than a little bit. Right, well, we'd better get out of here then. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. But until then, I've been Joe. I've been Chris. I've been Gary. And I've been Dalton. See you later. <laughs>